This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We're talking about the second half of Acts 20 today, so let's take a closer look. Let's do it. This is an interesting text in the book of Acts because um, there are some key moments in the book where some speeches are kind of markers, right? So... Peter's sermon at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is a big marker. Um, When Peter speaks after his vision in chapter 10, that's a big marker. Um, The letter to 15, which is kind of like a speech, at least they say it as one in the beginning. And then Paul's speech um, in Athens. And then Paul's speech here. These speeches are kind of these major movements throughout the book of Acts. They're not the structure of the book, but it's almost like when you see a speech, it's like, okay, pay attention. There's something important here about to be revealed. Um, And that's definitely the case here. So what Paul does is Paul's in a place called Miletus, and he sends a message for the um, leaders of the church at Ephesus to come see him, to come speak to him. And when they come, this is what he says. You yourselves know how I lived among you the entire time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. I did not shrink from doing anything helpful, proclaiming the message to you and teaching you publicly and from house to house as I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus. Now, there's a lot going on in that first part, but basically what you have is you have Paul reminding them that, hey, he's given his life over to this message of Jesus, and it hadn't always treated him right. Mm Mm-hmm. It's gotten him in a lot of persecutions, gotten him in a lot of situations where he's cried a lot, shed a lot of tears, uh, been thrown in prison a lot, persecuted a lot. He's reminding them that he endured a lot of trials because they're coming after him. But he didn't shrink away from doing anything helpful, anything contributing to the cause. And this is what he says. He says he's going around in humility, spreading, proclaiming the message, right? And then he tells you, this is what that message was. I testified, right? It's the same word. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus. And now, as a captive of the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that I got a lot of people, I got a lot of threats against my life. So, before we continue, I think it's really interesting that the testimony he proclaims to have to both Jews and Greeks 
is number one, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus. Okay, Clayton, what's repentance? Uh, turning away is, I think, the literal definition. Like, or yeah, coming going back the other to, direction. Yeah, coming yeah. back to. Okay, coming back to. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. you're you've went yeah, the you've other went way, the, so you're you're yeah. turning and you're coming back. Yeah. Um. So repenting towards God, and having faith or believing. Yeah, and faith toward our Lord Jesus. Faith in what? Faith in the resurrection? It's got to be. Yeah. It has to be the resurrection. Faith in the resurrection and repentance towards God. So what he's saying is repenting from sin because sin brings about death and having faith, hope, and trust in Lord Jesus. Yeah. Now, it's interesting that he chooses title Lord here, not Savior. Right. Right? It's interesting that he chooses the title Lord, but it's because he wants to carry a slave metaphor. Mm -hmm. So watch. Beginning, picking back up in verse 24. But I do not count my life of any value to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the good news of God's grace. There we go. But I do not count my life of any value to myself. So here's where he's picking up the slave metaphor. It's like we've experienced this in Jesus it's okay for me to endure these things because I don't count my life anything of value because of God's grace. Because I want to testify to the good news of God's grace. This is a unique construction here where he says, but I do not count myself, my life of any value to myself, if only I may finish my course in ministry. Ministry, the, the thing that I do for the cause that I receive from the Lord Jesus. This is another place where Paul confirms, hey, I saw Jesus on the road to Damascus to testify to the good news of God's grace. That unique construction of the good news of God's grace I don't want to say this in like an insurrection way, but it's political liberation language mm -hmm. is what it is. So good news is not a word invented by Christians. The gospel is not a word invented by Christians. In fact, it's been used for a very long time throughout the ancient world. And because they don't have cell phones or modern news outlets or you know, printing presses or any of those kinds of things, the only way to spread news was by word of mouth. Yeah. So they would literally have people running around shouting good news. And what that word meant is it was a political announcement to everyone that there was new powers coming to the throne. Hmm. Good news is a political word yeah. that we chose to use or the early Christians chose to use as our announcement of a king. 
a king that what's the reason it's good news that a new, there's turnover in power? Because maybe I won't be oppressed anymore. Maybe something will happen that'll like make my life better. Testify to the good news of God's grace. Liberation. Freedom from sin, oppression, personified death. Um, I do think this is a very unique construction um, that I think is a grounding place for a lot of liberation theology. That it's that the message that Paul felt like he was proclaiming and Luke affirms is a message to the outsider. And that outsider is hearing a message that there is a there is political movement happening in their favor and God is the active agent. That's a beautiful like situation to be in. And so Paul begins and he grounds his kind of speech in this opening paragraph here. And then he picks up and he begins to talk to the elders of the church. And he talks to them for a while, telling them to keep watch over the flock and, you know, doing lots of things, tells them that there's going to be some people that are going to come in, have false beliefs. They're going to try to interfere and all these kinds of things. I'm going to skip that. Um, and pick up in verse 31. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to warn everyone with tears, warn against these false prophets that are going to come up distorting the truth. That's what he says is that they're going to come up and distort the truth, enticing people to follow them. Verse 32. And now I commend you to God, the leaders of the church. I commend you to God and to the message of what? His grace. So not his rules. Yeah. Not his systems. Yeah. Not his sacrificial systems. Not his purity rituals. His what? His message of grace. Grace. A message that is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. Okay. So it's to build you up, right? Yeah. We, we've been talking about this in um, our series on practicing presence, self-love as divine love. Mm-hmm. Um there are some theologies that are designed to make you feel less about yourself. The theology itself is tearing you down. That is inherently bass backwards to what we're supposed to be doing here. This is a message that's supposed to be building up, empowering people, right? That's the whole deal. This is for oppressed people. Mm-hmm. We can't kick each other while we're down. We'll never get out of here. Right. We should be empowering and encouraging one another to rise to the top, that we're headed somewhere under this new movement, yeah. a movement of liberation and life and grace and one that's going to give us an inheritance, something that oppressed people and poor people and outcast people know nothing of. It is a new experience of life. Do you realize that in in an ancient world, an inheritance was like one of the only ways someone could ever do something for themselves? That's why they were so sought after. Because you think it's hard to make it in America? 
You think it's hard to change social classes in America? Go to an ancient world and an honor shame culture where who your dad was really mattered, who your granddad was really mattered. It's hard to break those barriers, those social structures. And so an inheritance is really the only way someone ever gets ahead. And really they're not ahead because they already have the privilege of their parents being successful enough to give them something. And so when you're giving a message to oppressed people that they remember and constantly tell of all the times in which they've been oppressed, yeah, it, uh, it's going to matter when you start talking about them having an inheritance. They're going to pick up on that language. An inheritance among all who are sanctified, of those who are in right standing with God, the righteous, mm-hmm. Because of grace and empowerment, not because of following rules and being judgmental. Yeah. You see, you see what's tracking here? Mm-hmm. Okay. Then this is what Paul says, verse 33. I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothing. You know for yourselves that I worked with my own hands to support myself and my companions. In all this, I have given you an example that by such work, We must support the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, for he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Okay. Now we're going to go ahead and talk about this for a minute. Because remember, he's talking to church leaders here. Mm -hmm. These are like, these are big instructions that Paul is giving for faithful Christians to follow. Yeah. And this is the, one of the things that he chose, this is like the final thing he chose to say to these people is, hey, I worked. I worked for mine because part of this message of God's grace, part of this message of empowerment, part of this message of liberation is to, in his literal own words, support the weak because it is more blessed to give than to receive. I think we miss a lot of the beauty of the Christian story because a lot of the theologies that I grew up listening to, that I made up in my head, that I heard about in seminary, they're receiving theologies. They're not giving theologies. A receiving theology is a heaven-first theology. What can, what can faith do for me? Yeah. Eternal life. There we heaven. go. Away from this pit of hell. Yes. Um, that's a receiving theology. That's not what we're supposed to be. The message of Jesus is not a receiving theology. It's absolutely a giving theology. Okay. It's a generous theology. It's a um, magnanimous theology giving in abundance and that's i think that's paul's thing is we have to continue to help the weak we have to support the weak the quartet of the vulnerable because what have i been saying this book this story this faith does not work if you introduce power into it it is a religion for oppressed people to empower and support and liberate oppressed people. 
If you want to spiritualize it, then the spiritualization, the allegory of it all, is that we are all oppressed by the problem of death. Do you know a single person that has not died or is not expected to die? No, because we are all oppressed by the problem of death. And we all feel the effects, the chains, if you would say, if you want to keep this metaphor going, of sin, the actions that are caused that we do or that others do that bring about experiences of death in the world. The faithful Christians must repent from those actions, right? There are systems, there are ethics here that we have to abide by. But you can't take this message of liberation and use it to oppress people. Um, in the name of Jesus, by some legalistic code. That, that's literally what Jesus was fighting against with the Pharisees. Yeah. That's not what this is. And I think this is what Paul is trying to say is like, look, guys, if you were only going to take a couple of things, here's what I want to remind you. Like, be faithful to your prayers. Watch out for people that got bad theology and are going to show up and try to distort the truth because I've been telling you a lot about that. You're going to keep getting persecuted. And, hey, keep preaching that message of grace and liberation. You keep doing that, and you support the vulnerable. That's what I want you to do. And then this is how Luke closes it. When he had finished speaking, he knelt down with them all and prayed. There was much weeping among them all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving especially because of what he had said, that they would not see him again. Then they brought him to the ship. These are Paul's yeah. final words to these people. Yeah. Now, there is an Ephesian letter, um, a letter that is traditionally said to be written by Paul. I'm not convinced. But we don't know exactly when it was written. Um, sure. So, and even if it was written by Paul, we're not 100% sure. So, this is the last time that Luke tells you that he's going to see them. Yeah. Right? And this is the message he chose to tell them. Now, remember, Ephesus is a strange city, bro. Mm-hmm. It's got a decent amount of money. Um, and it's got a lot of foreign and pagan gods. And... It has some strange relationships with women for the ancient world. Um, And there is a lot of sexual promiscuity and exploitation that takes place in Ephesus in the ancient world. It's not what Paul chose to talk about. Paul chose to talk about a message of grace in the name of Jesus. Paul chose to talk about empowering the weak, supporting the vulnerable. Um... Well, House Church, if you were looking, if you were ever looking for like your old math thing, like you remember the math trick, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, if you were ever looking for a keep it simple, stupid, it's the last half of Acts 20. Like that is what we are supposed to be doing as faithful Christians.